Mrs. Fortress on a Hill with Henry, Danny, Kagan, and Giovanni. Welcome, everyone, to Fortress on a Hill, a podcast about U.S. foreign policy, anti-imperialism, skepticism, and the American way of war. I'm Henry. Thank you for, uh, for joining us today. With me is my, uh, my loving co-host, Giovanni. Dude, how are you doing? I am doing great. How, how, about, how are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Weather's a little, a little warmer here than it has been. Not quite so freezing as we're as freezing as it ever gets in Portland, Oregon. Um, and so we are here today to talk with a representative of the African People's Socialist Party. Of course. So Jesse Neville uh, became active in the movement for reparations to African people in 2010 when he met Chairman Omali Yeshitali and the African People's Socialist Party, APSP, in St. Petersburg, Florida. He, he has served as a national chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, USM, since 2014, building white solidarity with black power and raising rep reparation from the white community to the African liberation struggle under the leadership of the APSP. In 2017, as part of the strategy led by the APSP to introduce a reparation demand into electoral, electoral arena, Jesse ran for mayor of St. Petersburg, Florida with the slogan, Unity Through Reparations. He is one of the four Uhuru Movement representatives ident identified as an unindicted co-conspirator by the FBI with the bogus charge of being a Russian agent facing indictment and arrest any day now. Today, Jesse lives, lives in St. Louis, Missouri, where he works with, where he works from the Uhura Solidarity Center, one of the APSP-owned buildings that was raided by the FBI on July 29th of last year. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming in and uh, joining our podcast. Um, so... Just to give a back history of, of what's happening here, play a clip from the, from the uh, Tampa Bay uh, news outlet uh, talking about what happened on that day of uh, 29 of July. Investigating a St. Petersburg-based political group. We come on the air. We are staying on top of developments in a major investigation involving a local group. The U.S. Department of Justice is investigating a St. Petersburg-based political group for allegedly working with Russia to interfere in U.S. elections. A Tampa-based grand jury charged a Russian national with spearheading an influence campaign to spread pro-Russian propaganda. 10 Tampa Bay reporter Liz Crawford has been covering this all day for us. And Liz, the indictment details a conspiracy dating all the way back to 2014. Yes, several years there, Courtney. I have a copy of the indictment. It's 24 pages long. It cites 50 examples of a Russian national working with U.S. political groups to push a conspiracy. Now, a U.S. attorney held a news conference here today at St. Petersburg Police Headquarters to explain why FBI agents raided three different locations within the city of St. Pete. Now, he said a Russian National faces a charge of conspiring to have U.S. citizens act as illegal agents of the Russian government. The FBI confirmed it had raided the Ahuru House in South St. Pete as part of this investigation. 
Early Friday morning, agents were there carrying out boxes, and a leader with the movement told me they took her phone and computer. U.S. government officials allege a Russian national recruited and used political groups in Georgia, California, and the Uhuru movement in Florida to publish pro-Russian propaganda and coordinate action to further Russian interests. That is intended to confuse and mislead citizens in the United States, in Europe, and even in Russia itself, as well as to recruit U.S. persons to advance Russia's operational goals. Now, members of the Uhuru movement showed up to police headquarters today eager to share their side of the story. One of their leaders said the group stands for the total and complete liberation of African people. I spoke with her one-on-one -on -one earlier today. Does the Uhuru movement have a relationship with any government, any party in Russia? We are able to have relationships with any forces who can unite with the anti-colonial struggle. So any force out there in the world that unites with the anti-colonial struggle, we pursue a relationship with unapologetically. Now, despite many questions from reporters today, she never did deny or confirm having relationships with Russian nationals. Now, a special agent in charge here said that Russia is relentless in their attempts to undermine U.S. democracy, but he said the FBI is relentless in their efforts to stop it. This investigation is ongoing. Wow. I was surprised that short little clip they showed of your comrade talking there, that it actually seemed like they almost captured a full thought. You would think they would have partitioned that a whole lot more. And she is absolutely 100% spot on the money. We are Americans. We are, well, I should, shouldn't have to be that we are Americans. We're fucking citizens of the world. Um, but that we have the freedom to get, create solidarity between anyone we want to. Russians, non-Russians, it does not make a bit of fucking difference. Freedom of speech, uh, freedom of the press, um, understanding that American laws don't should not apply to people outside the United States. That's always been a really shitty one I've hated. And it applies to so many different things. Yeah, so, so I want to, uh, before, uh, before we get Jesse on, um, to give us some more, uh, insight of what happened, right? Just want to put this in context that this whole thing, right? Uh, comes from the narrative of Russiagate, you know, five years of Russiagate have been pretty much uh, uh, pushed down our throat for the last five years under the Trump administration. You know, while Trump was 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 uh, was in power, right, uh, by the Democrats, uh, the allegations that have been totally debunked. You know, uh, but they keep pursuing this, right? And if you want more into in, inside of the whole Russiagate, uh, you know, debunking Russiagate, you know, I, I uh, suggest you know to. Go uh, and, and listen to uh, uh, Aaron Mate. Uh, uh, he did a, he's done brilliant work on the whole Russia Gate hoax. Uh, this coming in the context of uh, of you know during that time was you know shortly after uh, the NATO backed uh, proxy war against Russia around the time right, which started in February of last year. We're coming up to a year now. It's also coming in context with the Uhuru movement, right? Uh, issuing a statement. Uh, uh, I believe a month earlier, a couple month, a month earlier, uh, expressing their solidarity uh, and their and and expressing that you know their their political take on the Ukraine Russian uh, conflict in which they 
you know, they give it a whole historical analysis or historical recount and pretty much puts out correctly that this was a NATO push war, that this is a war that didn't have to happen. Jesse, take the floor. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, Giovanni uh, and, and Henry, I just want to thank you both again for having me on today. And I want to say that I was particularly excited and honored to be on this program and uh, to be among people who are uh, veterans who are taking a stand against U.S. imperialist wars, because as people who have been on the inside of the death-wielding military apparatus of U.S. imperialism, that the fact that you have come and and used your experience and your uh, position as veterans to speak out and denounce U.S. war is very courageous and very principled and something that I, I very much support and salute. And, uh, you know, as um, Henry and I were talking about a little bit earlier, one of the things that I've come to understand through my involvement in the Uhuru movement under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Omalia Shetela is that while we denounce U.S. wars abroad around the world, we, we have to denounce the wars that the United States carries out daily against African people inside the United States, against the indigenous people, against Mexican people, against colonized and oppressed peoples within U.S. borders, because those are the fundamental wars of colonial aggression and occupation upon which the entire United States rests. There wouldn't be a United States without the attack on African people and the theft of land and genocide against the indigenous people. And that's, you know, segues exactly into what we're talking about tonight with this act of truly militarized, violent aggression that was carried out by the United States government, by the Biden administration uh, and the FBI on July 29th of last year. And before um, talking a little bit more about what actually happened, because that news clip does not explain what actually went down on July 29th. And I, I want to say a little bit more about what actually happened. But before I do that, just to say um, what the Uhuru movement is and what the African People's Socialist Party is and what my involvement is. So Uhuru, Uhuru is a Swahili word that means freedom. And the Uhuru movement refers to a, a global movement led by the African People's Socialist Party which is a revolutionary party of the African working class identifying African people as one people, whether they are in the United States or in Africa or in the Bahamas or in Europe or the UK or anywhere else around the world. They have been forcibly dispersed by colonialism and slavery. And the African People's Socialist Party was founded in 1972 by its chairman, Omali Yashatela, who had prior to that had been a part of the civil rights struggle the Black Liberation Movement. He was a prominent leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the South in Florida. And after being jailed for two and a half years, almost three years for courageously carrying out an act of civil disobedience and going into the St. Petersburg City Hall in 1966 and tearing down from the wall this hideously racist mural portraying Black people as caricatures and in a monstrous fashion. He tore down that mural and uh, was jailed for almost three years. And when he was uh, came back out into the streets to organize, 
he formed something called the Junta of Militant Organizations, JOMO, which then uh, merged with two other organizations in 1972 to form the African People's Socialist Party. And 1972 was significant because this would have been not very long after the COINTELPRO program of the FBI and the U.S. government had effectively destroyed the Black Revolution of the 1960s. And Chairman O'Malley Chatella's goal with the founding of the African People's Socialist Party was to rebuild and complete the Black Revolution of the 1960s. So that is what the chairman has set out to do. That is what he has dedicated his life to for the past 60 years. And in 1976, Chairman O'Malley Chatella and the African People's Socialist Party formed an organization under their leadership called the African People's Solidarity Committee with the purpose of organizing white people to stand in solidarity with the African revolution and basically to extend the African liberation struggle into the white population and call upon white people to face the truth about this social system, this country, this government, and our relationship to it. And the fact that this country was built on the enslavement of African people, the assault on Africa, the invasion of Africa by Europeans, transforming African people into commodities for sale, the first commodities of capitalism, inflicting genocide against the native people of this land, slaughtering up to 100 million indigenous people and uh, stealing their land and forcing the, the survivors into concentration camps that we euphemistically refer to as reservations and creating what the chairman calls a colonial mode of production in which everything we have access to as white people, everything, all of the resources and wealth and even ideas and knowledge that we have access to have, have come as a consequence of pillage and rape and lynchings and slavery and war in the U.S. and around the world that we have participated in, that we have been complicit in. And therefore, the way for white people to, to divorce ourselves from this history and begin a new chapter in history that is not based on oppression and exploitation, but based on solidarity with oppressed peoples, solidarity with African and exploited peoples of the world who are fighting to end their oppression is to fight for reparations, unity through reparations to African people. That is the slogan. And that, that is the work that the Solidarity Committee has done. Penny Hess, who is the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, has been a part of this organization since 1976. And I have the honor to chair our mass organization, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, which now exists in 144 cities throughout the U.S., where white people are taking a stand for reparations and white solidarity with black power under the leadership of the African working class, the African People's Socialist Party and the African Revolution. And uh, just to, to transition into what happened on July 29th, um, I am currently living in St. Louis, Missouri. I used to live in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, the headquarters of the African People's Socialist Party shifted to St. Louis, Missouri, over the past few years after the incredible historic uprisings in Ferguson after the August 9th, 2014 murder of Mike Brown, of 18-year-old Mike Brown. People saw that around the world. He was shot and killed, left to bleed for four and a half hours on the scalding hot pavement in, in a blazing hot day in August. 
And the community, the people rose up and they rose up in a serious and righteous resistance and rebellion. And Chairman O'Malley Ishatella and the Uhuru movement came into St. Louis to organize amongst the African community and to take it beyond protest, to take it towards a struggle for power in the hands of the African community, political and economic power over their own neighborhoods and communities and resources. And the Uhura movement has built a program called the Black Power Blueprint in North St. Louis that has actually acquired properties, abandoned properties and buildings and renovated them into community institutions of economic self-reliance. They built an Uhura House community center they built a farmer's market. They built an outdoor venue, a community garden, a basketball court. They're building a bakery and cafe. And these are all programs owned and controlled by the African working class. And what this is doing is negating the colonial parasitic capitalist economy that feeds on the stolen wealth and resources of African people. It's negating that economy and replacing it with a contending economy, which is one that is in the interests of the African working class. And that is why on July 29th, uh, 2022, summer of last year, the US government carried out what can only be described as the most serious and vicious and definitive assault on the Black liberation movement inside this country since the 1960s. And this was something that took place at 5 a.m. It was a coordinated pre-dawn multi-state raid that started in at 5 a.m. here in St. Louis, 5 a.m. Central Time, and it was coordinated to start at the exact same time in Eastern Time, 6 a.m. in St. Petersburg, Florida. The FBI raided a total of seven homes and offices belonging to uh, lead the Uhura movement uh, leaders and members. In North St. Louis, in the impoverished Black community uh, of North St. Louis, where Chairman O'Malley Ishatella and Deputy Chair of the African People's Socialist Party, Onazene Ishatella, who is the chairman's wife, they live in, in their home in North St. Louis. Uh, they were awake. They were sitting at their kitchen table. They were getting ready to go to the Uhuru House to preside over a training of 15 African women from the community who the, the Uhuru movement trained to become doulas, uh, certified birth attendants, birth workers. This is part of a program the Uhuru movement is building also in North St. Louis. They're building a women's health center to address the, frankly, genocidal conditions of infant and maternal mortality faced by African women in this country. So they were preparing to go to the Uhuru house to conduct this training and uh, at 5 a.m., all of a sudden, there's a loudspeaker blaring a voice outside saying, this is the FBI, come out with your hands up and nothing in your hands. This is the FBI. Uh, we have a warrant for this residence. Um, all of a sudden, they're banging down the door with a battering ram. Chairman O'Malley Chatella comes down the steps of his, of his home. Uh, the door is already banged down. He comes out with his hands up. The uh, FBI is there in full force, not just the FBI, but also the St. Louis police are there. Dozens of armed federal agents are there. They have assault rifles pointed at the chairman with the laser red sights from their guns aimed at his chest, which was something they did to clearly signal to him that they held the power of life and death over him, that, that with any, quote, wrong move, they could assassinate him 
just like they did to Fred Hampton in Chicago in 1969, just like they did to Bobby Hutton in Oakland, California and others. And uh, then they did, they put, they deployed a drone. They sent the drone into his house, which almost hit uh, deputy chair Onizanesh Tella in the head as she was coming down the stairs. They smashed through the windows from the back and the front. They set off multiple flashbang grenades throughout their home. They uh, uh, went in, in, and proceeded to raid their home for hours and hours, looting their home of cell phones and uh, and and uh, iPads and and you know computers and notepads and books and calendars and anything. They they looted their home of all of this property. And uh, meanwhile, the same time that they were doing that at Chairman Omali Shatella's house, they were doing the same thing at the Uhuru Solidarity Center, which is the building I'm sitting in right now as I speak to you. This building was under siege on July 29th. Uh, this is a building in the south side of St. Louis. It's owned by the African People's Socialist Party. It is a building that was put here in the white community as an organizing space to win white people to support the African liberation struggle. And it has a huge banner out front that says unity through reparations. And it has ex enjoyed incredible support from the people who live in this community and in the surrounding neighborhoods and beyond. They came, uh, myself and the, the vice chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, we live in the apartment upstairs. So same thing happened here, 5 a.m. in the morning. They, um, banged down the doors, flashbang grenades, drones, assault rifles. They handcuffed us. I forgot to mention, they handcuffed Chairman Omali Shatella. They zip-tied his, his hands behind his back. They handcuffed his wife, Deputy Chair Onizanea Shatella. They told him to sit on the curb to humiliate them, which they refused to do, and, uh, and then told them that they were not under arrest and eventually took the handcuffs off. They did the same thing here. Uh, they did the same thing to um, uh, Penny Hess from the African, the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and Kitty Riley at their home in South St. Louis. They raided their home. They held them at gunpoint for hours. And then in St. Petersburg, Florida, the young woman that you saw in that recording is a leader of the African People's Socialist Party. Her name is Akile Anai. She heads up the communications and media department of the Uhura movement. And it, she's a, a brilliant uh, leader and an organizer and revolutionary. They went to her home. They attacked her. They raided her car. They took her phone, her computer. Uh, and then they also raided the chairman's home in St. Petersburg. He used to live in St. Petersburg. He has a home there. He wasn't there, but they raided that home. And they raided the Uhuru House Community Center in South St. Pete, where they had at least 40 armed agents that went in and, and broke down 10 doors total in that building. Every single door inside the building, they smashed down and uh, took just tons of documents, financial documents, hard drives, uh, you know, archives going back to the 70s, you know, everything they could get their hands on, they just looted from those properties. And as was um, said in that recording, uh, that um, news clip that we watched, the absolutely ludicrous and downright offensive so-called justification that the U.S. government gave for this assault that they waged against the African People's Socialist Party is that, according to them, the African People's Socialist Party, the struggle of African people for liberation, for an end to 
the type of violence we just saw in Memphis with the brutal beating to death of Tyree Nichols that happens every single day in this country, that that is actually a Russian conspiracy being orchestrated by an agent of the Russian government. And before even going into the specifics of how absurd that is, um, and most people, I, I've talked to very few people who have responded to that with anything other than laughter at how ludicrous and frankly unoriginal it is. I mean, it's the oldest cliche in the FBI playbook to try to discredit uh, black liberation freedom fighters by saying that they're working for the Russians. I mean, they tried the same thing with Martin Luther King. They did the same thing to Paul Robeson and William Patterson and W.E.B. Du Bois and many, many others uh, who were accused of working for the Russians. And Chairman O'Malley Shatella is 81 years old. He is inc an incredible leader that is beloved around the world for fighting for freedom for African and oppressed peoples everywhere. That means that for the majority of his life, over 60 years, he has fought for African liberation. The idea that he needed somebody in Russia to tell him that that needed to happen. The idea, it, you know, in my view, we should be insulted that the U.S. government would expect us to believe something so bogus and even racist that African people are incompetent or incapable or unintelligent to be able to know that they are oppressed and should fight for their liberation and that they require some outside force from Russia or anywhere else to intervene and tell them that they need to do that. So it's, it's absolutely absurd. Uh, anyone who really wants to understand why the African People's Socialist Party has come under attack, all you need to do is look at Cointelpro. All you need to do is look at the FBI's history of targeting African people who have stood up and fought for their liberation back to the inception of the FBI, which was created uh, in the early 1900s and which cut its teeth attacking and, and infiltrating and destroying the movement led by Marcus Garvey. So this is a very uh, serious attack. And the Uhuru movement has launched a counteroffensive campaign called Hands Off Uhuru, Hands Off Africa, that is winning massive support. Uh, and I'll just close this little segment by saying that if the FBI's goal was to intimidate people away from the Uhuru movement, scare people away from the Uhuru movement, then they must be kicking themselves right now because the result has actually been a, a tremendous outpour of support and, uh, and people who want to defend the right of African people to organize for their liberation. Yeah, I wanted to add there, um, which you mentioned there, which you described there, reminiscent to what happened to the Panther Party, mm -hmm. what happened to the Moose organization, mm -hmm. and uh, I think what's in Philadelphia, right? Right, uh, 1985. Yeah, what happened to recently, what happened recently to the, in Puerto Rico, for example, that's where I'm originally from, yes. uh, to uh, Felipe Tojeda. Felipe Tojeda, he was the leader yes. of the, of the, the popular, popular Borico army, popular, you know, called AK Machetero. He was raided also in the early morning in his home, but, but him, he was actually gunned down by the FBI uh, wow. during that time. And that happened right shortly after 9-11. So I wanted to uh, um, read uh, the statement uh, that were put out uh, right after the special operation, right near the right after the the Russian incursion in, in Ukraine, uh, March 17, 2020. 
1992, the African Socialist Party conducted a press conference featuring Chairman Omali Ishitelli, uh, who put forward the official position of the African Revolution regarding the side we must take in Russia's defensive war in Ukraine against global colonial powers. The February, the February 2014 CIA inspired or initiated and led coup in Ukraine was a crucial event contributing to the Russia's defensive war against uh, Russia being fought in Ukraine. However, the event most the event most significant to this war was the invasion of Russia following the 1917 revolution that resulted in the establishment of a socialist state stemming from an international movement to destroy global parasitic capitalist system. It was this invasion of Russia by all the colonial powers of the world. There were about 34 uh, countries that took part in this war and in this invasion of Russia, right? Including the U.S. and Japan, that the African People's Socialist Party recognizes as the critical event that should contribute to an African position of the current war being fought in Ukraine. This was the beginning of the colonial war against Russia that is being, that is pending against today in the Ukrainian iteration. The invasion of Russia by colonial powers in 1918 was an invasion to protect the colonial mode of production that, that was begun with the attack on Africa more than 600 years ago. The threat of what will become Soviet Russia as, revol as revolutionary abaters and examples of the emancipation of workers and oppressed of the world could not be tolerated by the colonialists. I remind everyone that the 1918 invasion of Russia did not occur in a vacuum. The meaning of our definition of the colonial mode of production that Russia, independent of its will, was fighting against is crystallized by the fact that the invasion of Russia was initiated during the same time of the 11 million strong anti-colonial Garvey movement stretching around the globe, demanding Africa for Africans at home and abroad. It was a frame time of it was it was a time frame Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata revolutionary work in Mexico and of the FSLN in Nicaragua. 1915 was the year that the U.S. Marine invaded Haiti and stole all the gold in its treasury and forced the Haitian government at gunpoint to change its constitution, allowing whites to own land for the first time since the, its 1804 revolution. Of course, all this colonial aggression by the U.S. was a normal reflex for a country that was itself founded as a settler colony, no different than South Africa or Israel, a country whose economy was built on stolen indigenous land and stolen African labor, earning a special place within the colonial mode of production defined by the same means and relations of production globally that are reflected domestically in the United States. This was the basis of context of the United, of the United White Nationalist Invasion of Russia in 1918 and the ongoing economic quarantine intended to break the back of the Soviet state. This is also the basis for the 1949 creation of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, explicitly created to contain and crush Soviet Union, Soviet Russia. The existing world order, led since 1949 by the international colonial bloc known as the Atlanticists, achieved its current political and economic anti-Russia configuration during the period of the 1940s. In the 1980s, the U.S. government, under the regime of James Earl Carter, with the leadership of Zygmunt Brzezinski, his national security advisor drew the Soviet Union into conflict, the military conflict in, in Afghanistan to overthrow its government that was allied with Soviet Russia and to extend NATO's border closer to the Soviet circle. 
a host of color revolutions and related struggles aided by opportunism, the desire to join the white colonial world of Europe and the U.S. and partaking the flesh of the colonized and to experience the status of life common to other white people to our disadvantage has led to the expansion of NATO to now include 30 different countries arrived against Russia. Since the 1991 dissolution of the Soviet Union, the U.S. has escalated its efforts to contain Russia, according to one online source, since the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the NATO military alliance has extended its borders 800 miles to the east, incorporating Poland, Hungary, Chechnya, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Croatia, Montenegro, and North Macedonia. In 2021, NATO officially recognized Ukraine itself as an aspiring member, and Sweden and Finland are also considering joining the anti-Russian alliance. While many have been forced to recognize the existence of colonialism as, a, as it relates to the individual countries, the African People's Socialist Party has determined that the initial 15th century European colonization began in Africa, developed into modern production, colonial mode and production that continues to define the political landscape of the world. Western Europe, white colonial identity and the existing colonial mode of production enveloping the world were achieved during this period. Unlike most of Europe, Russia's development from feudalism did not go through the colonial mode of production, but it, but it's a product of the Russian socialist-led revolution of 1917. This is why Russia today, although it makes no pre pretense of being communist or revolutionary, has been able to briefly enter into the colonial mode of production on its own terms, free from the absolute dictates of the U.S. Under the leadership of Vladimir Putin, Russia has been has become an active, aggressive opponent of the unipolar world and domination of the U.S. This confounds the challenges, the strategic equilibrium of the colonial mode of production contributing to the crisis made manifest within the U.S. domestically and fracturing U.S. dominated hegemonic unity of the Atlanticists globally. The 19, the 2014 CIA engineered coup to put a puppet in power in Ukraine on Russia's Western border along with the imposition of a puppet government and fascist-filled military and the murder of an estimated 13,000 ethnic Russian Ukrainians in the eight years since the coup was the beginning of a comprehensive intensification of the 100-year-long war against Russia that has resulted in the existential defensive war being fought by Russia against the global colonial ruling class and its minions. Thus, it is absolutely necessary for the Afghans and all the victims of European colonialism to take definitive stance in solidarity with Russia, which independent of its own consciousness is fighting against the power of colonial slavery that has dominated the life of Africa and Africans for 600 years. Vanguard up. Okay. So that was, that was, um, back in March, um, shortly after that, four months later, that's when, uh, the Uru suffered its. It's uh, uh, the FBI raid. So one of the things that uh, um, what we are interested is that uh, that after the you know when the the the, the Russian intervention in in you know, Ukraine happened, right? A lot of the social, a lot of the progressive social movement just either went on silence or just took up the 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 official narrative. You know that you know the Russia's you know Russia bad bad went bad and you know brain. Um, was a worthy victim all of a sudden, right? Um, before that, 
you know, Ukraine was, you know, one of the most corrupt states in Europe. But after that, you know, um, it became the worthy victim overnight, you know. But what's interesting is, right, that a lot of these progressive uh, organizations that were outside, you know, fighting against American imperialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right, all of a sudden just took the thud in uh, the same language that they used, right? Uh, whereas Uhuru pretty much took a different course, right? Um, and Uhuru wasn't, ha hasn't been the only one. It's been a handful, right? But Uhuru was pretty much the first one that actually, yes. uh, actually has, has experienced actually a direct intervention, you know, from this thing. You know, other outlets, you know, were canceled, were thrown out of Twitter, where, you know, their, 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 their YouTube account was, was, you know, was closed down, was expunged, you know, was kicked out, you know, they were called uh, Russian propagandists or whatever in their, in their Twitters or in the stuff like that, right? But it was a Huru that was actually that targeted, you know, uh, militarily, you know, speaking, you know, uh, to intimidate. I don't know if it's, you know, to use you as an example or what, what do you think? Yeah, I think, um, well, I'm, I'm glad you read that piece. Um, that was very powerful to, to hear that again. It's been a little while since I've read that. That analysis from Chairman Omali Shatella was incredibly important in, in explaining what was going on in Russia in giving a revolutionary analysis of it at a time when, as you indicated, there was pretty much nobody else um, on the so-called left or anti-war movement or anywhere else that was um, really putting it in the context of the colonial mode of production and of a system built on slavery and genocide and white power. And uh, on, you know, in the context of the struggle that the United States has been waging against Russia for over 100 years. So I think that was really important to review that. And uh, in terms of the attack on July 29th, I mean, I think in one way, the, the you know, the Russia issue is relevant in the sense that the United States is losing power all over the world. That is something that there is growing recognition of that reality, that the United States' position as the head imperialist uh, hegemon is declining because oppressed and colonized peoples around the world are fighting back, are resisting, are struggling, whether it's in Africa, inside the United States with African people, indigenous people, Mexican people, whether it's in, in Africa or in you know, Palestine, occupied Palestine or Latin America or Asia or anywhere else. And also these other governments uh, and countries that are fighting to create their own path independent of the will and, and dictates of U.S. imperialism, such as China and Russia and Iran and North Korea and Syria and Cuba and Venezuela and others are increasingly working together to create it, you know, a system and even economic arrangements and relationships separate from the United States. And this is what Chairman Omali Shatella has described as the uneasy equilibrium between the past and the future and the crisis of imperialism that, that uh, flows from that. So on the one hand, in desperation to try to hold on to their power, that is why you saw the FBI banged down the doors of the Uhuru movement, put Chairman Amalia Shatella in handcuffs and cook up this absolutely bogus, um, you know, charge against the chairman and the Uhuru movement. It, it, it's a sign of their weakness and desperation. 
On the other hand, it has nothing to do with Russia at all. Russia is just the convenient legal cover that they have um, put together to justify car- carrying out what they hope will be a legal lynching of Chairman Omalia Shatella and the others. And I-, I forgot to mention earlier, I want to say this, that um, four people in the Uhura movement were characterized in the indictment because the basis for the raids on July 29th was an indictment that was issued by the uh, so-called Department of Justice against a Russian national in Russia. He lives in Moscow. He's not ever going to face trial in the United States. He lives in Russia. But they issued an indictment against this Russian man who they claimed was actually pulling the strings behind the Uhuru movement and Chairman Amalia Shatella. And in the indictment of this man in Russia, four people from the Uhura movement were characterized as, quote, unindicted co-conspirators. One of them, the first one was Chairman Amalia Shatella, and he is clearly the chief target of this attack. Uh, the others were Penny Hess, the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, uh, Akile Anai, the director of, of the Agitprop Department for the African People's Socialist Party, and myself. And now there are strong indications that within the next two months at latest, possibly by the time this podcast airs, that Chairman Omali Shatella and myself and Penny Hess and Director Akile and I and potentially others from the Uhuru movement will have been indicted ourselves and arrested and will be facing trial on these bogus charges of failing to register with the attorney general's office as a foreign agent of the Russian government and involving ourselves in an alleged conspiracy to commit an offense against the United States government. And um, I mentioned W.E.B. Du Bois earlier. And uh, just to go back to that, in 1951, W.E.B. Du Bois, who was actually 50 or 83 years at the time, 83 years old. So the chairman is 81. Du Bois was 83. And in 1951, W.E.B. Du Bois was indicted by the federal government on the exact same charge. He was charged with being a Russian agent. And he was charged with being a Russian agent for circulating a petition calling for peace and calling for an end to the proliferation of nuclear weapons. They said that he was a Russian agent. They put him on trial and Back in that situation, he was actually acquitted. The, the uh, judge dismissed the case before it even went to a jury. But they took away his passport when he went to Ghana, and he was never allowed to come back to the United States. And it had a very damaging impact on you know, his uh, financial situation and, and, and otherwise. So that was a very vicious assault that they carried out using the exact same charge. And it's interesting because... Um, as Chairman Omali Shatella has pointed out, the, uh, the law that they are using to make this attack is called the Foreign Agent Registration Act. And it's something that is, is uh, exemplary of selective prosecution. They will use it to attempt to silence and crush the Black Liberation Movement. But you have this massive Israeli lobby that runs unabated in this country, runs amok, openly advocating for the Israeli government and is never required to register as foreign agents of the Israeli government and is never 
uh, penalized or facing any kind of prosecution for uh, brazenly and openly functioning as as agents of the Israeli government. So this is it's a political attack against the African liberation struggle disguised with this legal cover about Russia and working with a foreign government or something like that. And some of the uh, specific things that that the U.S. government claims, um, people can you can read the indictment. If you Google the Alexander Ionov indictment, you can read it. And people should read it because it's laughable. I mean, it's absurd. Some of the things that they claim the Uhura movement was doing at the behest of the Russians, one of the things they claim was a Russian plot was the elections that the Uhura movement participated in in St. Petersburg, Florida in 2017. The, the Uhura movement ran two candidates for office, Akile and myself. We both ran for office for city council and I ran for mayor of St. Petersburg, Florida on a platform of reparations to the African community and self-determination for African people. And they claim that those elections were actually influenced and funded by Russia. And that the issue of reparations, introducing the issue of reparations into the electoral arena was something that the Uhuru movement was, was courted to do by the Russian government. But the Uhuru movement and Chairman Amali Shatella has been raising the demand for reparations going back to the early 1980s and even before that. In 1982, the African People's Socialist Party held the first world tribunal on reparations to black people in the United States in Brooklyn, New York. And at that tribunal, which had a panel of experts and judges from around the, the, the country and the world, they found the, UN, the United States guilty of the crime of genocide against African people. And that is another thing that they claim was something orchestrated by the Russians. In 2016, the Uhuru movement took a petition to the United Nations called Africans Charge Genocide, pointing out, exposing that if you look at the United Nations legal definition of the crime of genocide, the convention and on the punishment and prevention of the crime of genocide, the definition fits perfectly the brutal experience of African people in the United States. That it is it perfectly applies to the conditions faced by African people. The the police violence, the mass incarceration, the, the foster care system that separates children from their families, uh, the imposition of drugs, the creation of an illegal economy, drug economy that's used to justify the criminalization of African people and mass incarceration of African people. All of this is consistent with the United Nations definition of genocide going back to the beginning of the United States up to today, ongoing to this day. And it didn't take a Russian for African people to come to that conclusion because in the early 1950s, there was a, a similar petition brought before the United Nations by, by Paul Robeson and other African leaders at that time who were also accused of doing that at the behest of the Russians. So it's a means by which the United States government and the Biden administration and the colonial system as a whole are attempting to discredit and delegitimize the, the criticisms that African and oppressed people would make of this social system and of the conditions that they are forced to suffer living under this social system. That if African people criticize the US government for the murder of Mike Brown, 
or for the murder of Breonna Taylor or Sandra Bland or Tamir Rice or Tyree Nichols or talk about the genocide faced by the indigenous people and the fact that they live in concentration camps where the average life expectancy is 42 years old or the fact that there are mass graves of Mexican people who are slaughtered coming across a false colonial illegitimate border uh, on their own land that if you complain about any of those things, that if you criticize and expose any of those things, it is illegitimate because you, the, the Russians told you to do it. And, you know, the other thing I would say about this that I think is very important is the in the 1960s, when Pro was being waged by the FBI, when war was being waged by the FBI against the Black Revolution of that time, when they assassinated Fred Hampton in, in Chicago, they came at four o'clock in the morning and the FBI and the Chicago police shot him dead in his bed. An agent had been assigned to infiltrate the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, drugged his drink the night before the assassination took place so he would be immobilized and incapable of getting up from his mattress to defend himself. They came in, they shot him, they, they, they murdered him. And also Mark Clark, who was another member of the Black Panther Party, there was no serious organized response from the white population at that time. There may have been some white people who protested, but there was no organized movement of white people saying, stop the war on the black community. No more genocide in our name. Um, solidarity with black power and black liberation. And this time around, because the African People's Socialist Party exists, because Chairman Omali Shetela has put the Black Revolution in the white community, has created a force of solidarity from white people that breaks the isolation that the U.S. government would want to impose on the African liberation movement. This time around, there, there is the voice of white people that can speak out and say that we are not going to sit by and do nothing while this government attempts to add Chairman Omali Shetela's name to the list of political prisoners already so long in this country that includes Leonard Peltier and Mumia Abu-Jamal and so many others, we are not going to watch this government add Chairman Omali Shetela's name to that list. And uh, the last thing I would say on that is that um, we expect indictments any day now. They want to put Chairman Omali Shetela in prison for the rest of his life. They want him to die behind bars. He is 81 years old. And we are working to raise the legal defense uh, fund for this campaign. If people go to handsoffaccrued.org, you can see where you can actually contribute to urgently needed funds that are urgent, urgent, urgently needed funds. Uh, lawyers have been hired to represent the unindicted co-conspirators, quote unquote, pre-indictment. But a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars will be needed to retain legal representation once indictments happen because we do plan to go to trial and we plan to beat this. We plan to win. We plan to make this a humiliating defeat for the United States government. And Chairman Omali Shetela's strategy from day one has been if they want to attack and threaten to put the African People's Socialist Party, the African People's Socialist Party is going to put them on trial. They are going to be on trial. They're the ones who have to answer for the legacy of bloodshed and slaughter and assassination and surveillance and harassment against the Black liberation movement in this country historically. And the African People's Socialist Party, its only crime, if you will, is that it has refused to just accept 
this the state of the world as it is and the, the conditions that African people face and has fought to bring freedom and self-determination to African and African people and to all of humanity. So I would definitely encourage people to do whatever you can to support this campaign. Go to handsoffahuru.org, join the campaign, get involved, take this out into your community. Don't let them do this in the dark and, uh, and do what you can to support the, the fund, the fund for the legal defense. Uh, about $126,000 are needed uh, at this point. Over 150000 has been raised, but at least another $126,000 is needed to make sure that, uh, that the chairman and the Uhuru movement have legal representation once indictments hit to be able to go up and, and face this beast known as the U.S. federal government. So, yeah. Um, before we go on, I wanted to, I wanted to read a real, uh, short synopsis about COINTELPRO. Mm -hmm. uh, it informs so much of what we do here on the podcast in terms of fully understanding what law enforcement does when it's all pointed in one direction mm -hmm. and how many people's lives are affected, how many organizations that are fighting for freedom, fighting for their own power, their own representation that are taken down in the same way that what is happening with uh, yourself, with Chairman O'Malley, with the organization. Um, so I wanted, it's uh, about COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO was a series of covert and illegal projects actively conducted by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting domestic American political organizations. FBI records show COINTELPRO resources targeted groups and individuals the FBI deemed subversive, including feminist organizations, the Communist Party USA, anti-Vietnam War organizers, activists of the civil rights of black power movements, ergo Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the Nation of Islam, and the Black Panther Party, environmentalists and animal rights organizations, the American Indian Movement, Chicano and Mexican-American groups like the Brown Berets and the United Farm Workers, independence movements, including Puerto Rican independence movements, such as the Young Lords and the Puerto Rican Socialist Party, a variety of organizations that were a part of the broader New Left and white supremacist groups, such as the Ku Klux Klan and the far-right group National States Rights Party. So like I, what I mentioned before, you know, is that the, the, this history, these, these um, horrifying programs that essentially destroyed a huge portion of the left across the civil rights movement and, and continuing forward. And, and so it's, it's important that we have that context, that we uh, add that into what we were talking about. Definitely. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to make one real quick comment. I, um, about the, the nature of the raids, uh, and how they were, how they were organized just from a, a little bit of a law enforcement perspective that the amount of overt violence, flashbangs, beaten down doors, uh, pointing, pointing guns, lasers pointed at people's chests that this really, to me would demonstrate that these are supposed to be very dangerous people people that are armed with lots of weapons, people who are going to try to incite violence in, 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 in much bigger ways. I heard the chairman when he was on, uh, he had that interview with Lee Camp, uh, a very great discussion. I'll make sure I'll put it, 
put that down in the show notes. Uh, he mentioned to Lee that if, you know, of course they could have just come and knocked on the door right. and, and the same for all the other locations, all the many places that this happened, that they could have done that very easily. And it, like I'm saying, just objectively, they had no reason to, they, there was, there wasn't any danger that they were trying to protect against. So they must've had a different reason for using all of that violence. And it was, it was to send a message. It was right. to send the message. That is the point. Um, so much of our, our carceral system and, and everything that affects it, um, goes through something with punishment by process, which is the, the bail system, you know, that the, um, that sometimes you're not able to punish somebody overtly through normal things, through indictments. Like for example, if the department of justice today throughout all the indictments and, and everything against your, your, yourself and your organization that they still sent a very, very powerful message that was, and that was the whole point. That is the reason for the violence. That is the reason that they are so, because it, 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 uh, it terrifies them. I don't think so much that you guys exist in that more that you're right and you're going against the, the, the token line, the Biden administration narrative of, you know, talking about the war in Russia, creating solidarity in, in that way. There's no secret. Oh, this is not a, a war in Russia versus Ukraine. This is actually a near war against Russia. And it's been something that's been on the works for a long time. And I just didn't start in, in, in February, uh, 2020. In right. 28, 2021 or 2022, the plans, uh, one of them is being actually the, the dismemberment of Russia. I was part of the actual NATO coalition that, that attacked Yugoslavia in uh, 95. Uh, yeah. And I was part of that dismemberment of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia does not exist anymore. It was broken into, right. into six uh, uh, small states. Uh, and now these small states are are being played against each other, which at one point they were one country at one time. This has been a project for, for a while, uh, against Russia. Russia is a big country. Russia is a country, uh, has lots and lots of nuclear weapons. You know, Russia is a country that, you know, that has the potential to destroy the United States, you know, so that makes it a threat. Um, uh, so yeah, so going back to, uh, to which, which, what, what, uh, Henry was discussing and you, Jesse, uh, when you guys, um, mentioned the, this raid and the flashness of the raid, the, 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 uh, uh, the exaggeration of the raid, it just knocked, right. It was very yeah. exaggerated, right. Was yeah. this a message? Uh, you saw that also, um, we're coming up to the assassination of Malcolm X, uh, yep. Malcolm X was another person mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, that, you know, Malcolm X was assassinated in February, 2020 in February 21st. Right. Uh, uh, he was another person that was bringing up also, uh, the plight of the African-American toward, you know, to the, to the, uh, UN before right. he was assassinated. Uh, exactly. so, you know, these all just sending a message. We also talk about Eugene Depp, for example, Eugene Depp and, you know, took a stand, uh, right before the, you know, when the United States decided to intervene in the first world war, right. He was put, he was put in prison, you know, uh, make old man was, uh, was deported, you know, so. So all these, uh, uh, these, uh, comes down to controlling the narrative, you know, controlling the narrative, right. And just like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, right. The most of the American progressive movements, you know, in the United States, right. You know, fell in line 
when the when the operation started against against Russia, right? They fell in line. They picked up on the on the official narrative, uh, and they and they ran with it. And not only they fell in line, they picked up the Netflix, uh, the official narrative and ran with it, right? They policed other people within their own ranks. Within their own left movements and whatnot, left organizations, right? Who did not toe the line, who did not fail in line, right? I can think of an example of a BSA, for example. BSA, the Democrat Socialists of America, for example, right? They put out a statement right after the intervention in, in, in you know, in Ukraine. Uh, and in that statement, right? It was, it was kind of, it was, it was lukewarm. It was a lukewarm statement, right? But in the statement, uh, they, they put blame on NATO for instigating this conflict. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Right. Remember that? And a whole storm happened within the DSA, right? Uh, some prominent members of DSA who are in Congress right now, that was his name, Bowman. I think his last name is, right? They denounced this statement, you know? And there's this whole ruckus going on within the DSA because if they actually, right, uh, I know a person who knows the person who wrote that statement and that person pretty much got put out of, out of his position, got pushed away because of that statement. You know, to the DSA, you know, so they fell in, they fell in line, they fell in line. Or they didn't fall in line, right? So you have to be, being, you have to be made an example of, you know, for others to follow. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. And the Uhuru movement has always taken these positions of uniting with peoples around the world who are involved in a struggle with U.S. imperialism and even the war in Afghanistan. In the very beginning, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, uh, there was a, a, a sector of the, um, the white left and the so-called peace movement, the anti-war movement, a large, you know, perhaps the dominant uh, sector of that movement that was okay with the invasion of Afghanistan, but against the invasion of Iraq. And that was a talking point you would hear back then well, why are we invading Iraq? We should just be going into Afghanistan, you know? And the Uhuru movement was opposed to the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq from the very beginning, uh, immediately, immediately from the beginning, and formed a, an anti-war coalition in Florida called the Florida Alliance for Peace and Justice that uh, raised up the, you know, the stance of solidarity with the people of Afghanistan and Iraq and called for a genuine anti-war movement, not only to call for peace, but to actually call for victory to the people of Afghanistan and the people of Iraq and oppressed and colonized peoples around the world who are involved in a struggle to defend their, their nations and their sovereignty from U.S. imperialist aggression. So, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think, I think that, is, that is a very important point. And, um, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, let me a little bit into what's your, uh, you missed information. What's her name? Uh, Akile, Akile Anai, A-K-I-L-E, last name A-N-A-I. Okay, let me, let me, uh, since the other, the other article just says something briefly, which is say have her, uh, pretty much, uh, come out a little bit, a little bit longer of what she said in her press conference right after the raids. Okay. okay. In this, um, press conference, neither were questions from the media. But we're here because we want to explain what this is about, what the FBI, what the police have stated as the basis for, you know, this so-called investigation. We want to clarify several things. One, that what happened this morning 
when my car and my personal property was seized from my possession, when they attacked Chairman Amalia Ashtella and Deputy Chair Onis and Ashtella in St. Louis, Missouri, where our current headquarters is for the African People's Socialist Party, the Uhuru Movement, when they broke into their homes and they handcuffed our leadership, when they went into the Uhuru House here in St. Petersburg, Florida, without issuing a search warrant, when they broke down the doors. So we want to say that they are characterizing this as some kind of investigation into our affiliation with, you know, Russian foreign governments and things like that. But one, I think that this exposes the crisis that the U.S. that U.S. imperialism is in, because the U.S. and other world colonial powers have been collaborating against Russia for well early into the early 1900s, and this is a consequence right now in 2022 that we see the same attack against Russia, and right now this this war on you with Ukraine, this defensive war in Ukraine that Russia is actually waging against world colonial powers, not Ukraine as a single entity, but the U.S. and all colonial powers who have an interest and colonially dominating African people right here in this country and around the world and extracting resources from the majority of peoples on the planet. That system, this current system is in severe crisis and they cannot rule in the same old way. So that's what we understand, one, about the U.S. government. And the ruling class itself states that imperialism is on the decline. U.S. power is not, it's not cyclical, but it is permanent. So that's number one. Number two, the African People's Socialist Party is an organization that has been here for 50 years. It is an international organization that not organizes just here in St. Petersburg, Florida, but right there in St. Louis, Missouri, in Oakland, California, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and all throughout the U.S., in Africa, in Europe. And the history of the African People's Socialist Party is to unite any with any forces that unite with the anti-colonial struggle. And we feel that is a just struggle. We feel that every colonized African who was gunned down in the city of St. Peter, anywhere else in this country, like George Floyd or like Mike Brown, we feel that our response is to fight against that relationship. Our, our responsibility is to fight against our oppression and our domination. And that means organizing a revolutionary capacity to make that possible. And that means that we unite with any force because we understand that colonialism is a global system and that it has interests everywhere throughout the world. Everywhere that, you are, that they are talking about, we have a relationship with, the U.S. is there right now plundering people's resources, but they are not under investigation. Just a few weeks ago, the Uhuru House was attacked in broad daylight, where an arsonist came to the Uhuru House and burned down, and attempted to burn our red, black, and green flag that waves at our offices down. There was no FBI investigation into that person who tried to burn down our flag. There was no response from the FBI and the, uh, the St. Pete Police Department to respond to this attack that came against our Uhuru House. And we also understand that that's not a coincidence, that the only revolutionary organization that's done something here on the ground practically for African people is the one that's come under attack. The, re the, the, the institution that offers a community radio station, a newspaper, a commercial kitchen, a, an Aquaba Hall rental space, and community office for our organizers was the building that has come under attack. And in St. Louis, where we have incredible economic projects that have transformed the conditions of our community, not the U.S. government, no politician ever did that for our community, but it was us, the Uhuru movement, that made that possible. And today, this process is disrupting a meeting that we are supposed to have around initiating a project 
African Women Doula Project that can make it possible for African women to deliver babies safely in our community. This process is interrupting that as I speak. And what this is, is a propaganda campaign against Russia. In that press conference where I had my ear pressed to the door, they are talking about interference in local elections and social media. No, I'll tell you, it's Mark Zuckerberg that interferes with the ability for people to communicate with one another and express their genuine interests. That's who was at the security conference for the U.S. government. It's Mark Zuckerberg who's responsible for that. And the, the U.S. is attempting to explain its own contradictions with Russia because it cannot rule in the same old way. It does not have the unity of its entire population. That's what Trump represented. And they say it was Russia intervention in the elections. They say it's an undemocratic process. What does the U.S. know about genuine democracy when it takes the ability for African people to feed, clothes, and house ourselves on a daily basis? You want to talk about destabilization? Talk to Nicaragua. Talk to Venezuela. Talk to Cuba. Talk to Russia. And ask about undemocratic processes. That's what we're engaged in right now. And they are attempting to attack. This organization, they are attempting to isolate the black power movement. That's what they are attempting to do. And we can have relationships with whoever we want, whoever we see fit possible to make this revolution possible. We will have a relationship with them. Look, they are, are, they're raiding our properties as we speak. Whatever you want to know, they'll let you know what we have and what we have not done. But I will say this, that we unite with any force that is willing to unite our, in our anti-colonial struggle. And that part is clear. We will, not, we will not refuse, we will not refuse to engage with others around the world who want to see this system go. We will not, we will not refuse that. That's what I'll say about that. The U.S. is working, the U.S. is working with every colonial government in the world and nobody is saying a damn thing about what the U.S. is doing in Africa. What, what, they don't, they don't raid the homes and ask white people any questions after they come home, come back from Israel where they're murdering Palestinian people every single day. They don't flash bomb their homes. They don't send the police right. there even though they went in, into international waters in a place where they are killing Palestinians on a daily basis. Nobody is asking them any questions about their affiliation. The U.S. is affiliated with all the undemocratic forces around the world attempting to oppress African and other colonized people. Why would we register as a foreign agent? We recognize that this is an illegitimate settler colony, that only foreigners here are European themselves who came here and stole the, the, this indigenous land at gunpoint. That's who needs to register as a foreign alien or whatever. It's the U.S. government. What's, what, what, what is the state? Because they didn't give us any of that paperwork. You want to know my name? Because I can tell you. I stated my name is Akilah Anai. I'm the director of agitation and propaganda for the African People's Socialist Party. I ran for office in 2017 and 2019 on a platform of reparations, the first time that was ever done in this country, under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party. It was the African People's Socialist Party that did that campaign. It was African... See my public records and the donors that came through that we have to report publicly. See see public records. You want to be a part of the state's investigation? You check their public records and see what resources we accepted. You are trying to make this discussion about something that it is not. You want to know what this real problem is about? If you are, you, if you are genuinely interested to know what this situation is about, I'm not living fancy land about whether or not I accepted money from Russians. This is real. Not the way you want to see it, not the way you want to con control the narrative. What I'm talking about right now is that they're using Russia as a part of a propaganda tool against the people 
to turn you away to win, first of all, win your unity with the U.S. government. The U.S. government has no ability to answer any of your questions, none. It can't solve any of your problems, and they tell you that it's Russia's fault. Russia is not in your community causing you to starve. Russia is not in your community pushing you out. Russia is not the St. Pete Police Department that killed Tyrone Lewis in 1996. It was not Russia. It was the U.S. government that did that. Wow. Damn. Powerful. Just to echo uh, what you're saying, you know, as, you know, millions of Americans today are struggling, you know, inflation, struggling. Uh, with insecurity, economic insecurity, social stratifications, etc. The Biden administration just sent a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine. <laughs> you know, thanks for showing that. That was very powerful. And um, I just want to say a quick word about uh, Akile Anai, who is in that video. She is the director of agitation and propaganda, which means uh, she, for the African People's Socialist Party, she presides over uh, just a massive department of of the Uhura movement that includes the production of the Burning Spear newspaper, which mm -hmm. I actually just got the latest issue earlier today. Um, the Black Power 96.3 FM radio station, Burning Spear publications, they published books uh, and so much more. I mean, just an incredible uh, piece of the work of, of this movement that comes under the direct leadership of of the agitprop director. So I just really salute um, Akile and, and appreciate you for showing that, that clip. That was very powerful. I would also recommend people check out on uh, handsoffwahuru.org. There is a three minute video that contains some footage of the actual raids. Um, we were able to get some security camera footage of, of the raids uh, and a few little you know cell phone uh, cameras that were able to record some of it. And uh, even describing it, it's hard to really convey what went down on July 29th. So I would definitely recommend people check out that video on handsoffwahuru.org. Thank you. You got, you got anything to add on, Andrew? It was very powerful. I kind of really relished the reporter trying to be <laughs> will and just completely bombing. Yes. So it's, it, yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, you're... You're not even really part of the discussion. Why are you here? <laughs> you know, um, but I, I, it is, it's that kind of passion that is needed for, to, to deal with these kind of problems, to, to really go at them and to, to, um, and to look at it with a, a decolonized mindset that, it, that we, something we talk about on the podcast a lot is trying to to change to adapt our mindset to understand things in ways that no one would have taught to us had other people not come and showed us you know showed us where the patterns were uh, you know i uh when, when before we started when you and i were talking about about the the death of mike brown and that that was such a such a fundamental shift for me and i'm i'm really grateful for it but ever since about that, that the, the expanse of how colonialism affects our world is just massive, you know, yeah. and, it, and we, we need movements like yours to, to do exactly what you're doing. I salute everything you guys are doing. You have, have every inch of solidarity that we can muster. I think we're at a good point to, to wrap it up for today. I just want to thank you both again. I, I really appreciated the opportunity on it. Again, I'm, I was very honored to be asked to be on this program to speak with you about this. 
And I would like to extend an invitation to both of you and to all of the listeners of this podcast to come to the, to come to St. Louis, you know, come to St. Louis, Missouri, see the Uhuru movement, see the Uhuru house. And on March 11th and 12th of this year, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement is having a national convention in St. Louis at the Uhuru House, calling upon, you know, in particular, calling upon the white community to stand in solidarity with the African liberation struggle against these attacks. The theme of the conference is white people say no to FBI war on black liberation, hands off Uhuru. And you can go to uhurusolidarity.org. Uh, USM convention 2023.eventbrite.com for the registration. And Chairman Omali Shatella will be speaking at that event. Uh, Director Akile Anai, who you just saw in that video, will be speaking at that event. Chairwoman Penny Hess will be speaking at that event. These are the so-called unindicted co-conspirators that will be featuring at this event. So I, I definitely invite anybody out there to, to come check this out and also to go to handsoffahuru.org uh, donate to the, the Legal Defense Fund, um, join the campaign, get involved, and take action. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was, it was a great honor to be here with you both today. Yeah, I just want to say solidarity to you, Jesse, and solidarity to the Huru Movement, to the chairman, and to a year of, of, of nation. Solidarity to her as well. Solidarity for you guys to, you know, to come on top of this and hopefully this indictment just get thrown out and you guys can continue to go on with your, with your work. Going back to Malcolm X, that he knew that in order for the plight of, of black Americans and, and oppressed people, not only black Americans, but also other oppressed people within the United States, right? In order for the plight, which put indigenous Latinos or whites and, uh, and so forth, right? In order for the, the plight to change, uh, it, well, it wasn't enough to petition our government. You know, it wasn't enough. You know, uh, he understood that you needed the outside pressure as well. And that's why he was intended to bring in, bring it into the UN, the plight of, of, you know, of black people in, 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 in the United States and all oppressed people in the United States, because it takes pressure from outside, not just inside, but outside as well to make some type of change, uh, within this, uh, uh, Within, within the belly of the beach, within Empire, just alone, just making phone calls and petitioning, you know, and signing petitions and, and doing demos, that's not going to do it on its own. It takes pressure from the outside as well. Um, also, I wanted to, uh, to, to also know, you know, for those, you know, brothers who, you know, who, you know, who consider themselves of the left or of, you know, liberals, et cetera, or flying the Ukraine flag out there, the solidarity. Uh, you know, what it called Slavo, Ukraine, et cetera, right? I need you to, you know, I will I hope for them to understand that the Ukraine itself is its own, it's its own contradiction. Ukraine is not an entity on its own. You know, there is contradiction within Ukraine. There is identity crisis within Ukraine. Western Ukrainians do not see Eastern Ukraine as the same, you know, and it's the, and, and when you're actually flying the Ukrainian flag, which you are actually supporting our Western Ukrainians, you know, who were pretty much imposing themselves on the Eastern Ukrainians in the Donbass and, and, and Crimea and uh, Odessa. We Ukrainians were of Russian ethnicity. Right. You know, what's one of the things that a lot of Americans tend to not to understand of this whole conflict going on there. It's not just black and white. It's more complexity to it. 
you know. All right, folks. Thank you for uh, joining us today on Fortress on the Hill. Uh, we hope you'll come back again next time. Take care. Money is tight these days for everyone. Penny pinching to make it through the month often doesn't give people the funds to contribute to a creator they support. So we consider it the highest honor that folks help us fund the podcast in any dollar amount they're able. Patreons is the main place to do that. And for supporters who can donate $10 a month or more, they will be listed right here as an honorary producer, like these fine folks. Fahim Shirazi, James O'Barr, James Higgins, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Daniel Fleming, Michael Karen, Ren Jacob, Howard Reynolds, Rick Coffey, Scott Spaulding, Spooky Tooth, and the Status Quo Podcast. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt for some great Fortress merch. We're on Twitter and Facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget it. We'll see you next time. song I hope you'll pay attention